I'm Dr. Michael Detola. I'm with Megan Strong. Put down the handpiece. You're watching Chairside Live. Welcome to Chairside Live. Hello, Megan. Hello, Dr. D. I've got a great case of the week to share with you guys uh, a little bit later. It's uh, a couple of anterior bridges that a dentist prepared and sent into us. And when we poured up the impression, we noticed we had some draw issues. And I think we have an interesting approach to help the dentist solve this problem. But before we get to that, let's go to Megan and get a couple of stories from the dental world this week. All right, let's see what's going on. Well, it turns out women in their 40s are more likely to have dental anxiety than any other age group. This according to an ongoing study from the University of Sydney. The case control study, now in its fifth year, aims to help improve dental management for patients with fears, phobias, and anxieties relating to visiting the dentist. The study has found that women in this age group are most likely to have perceived a traumatic dental experience, abuse, and oral facial trauma. Yeah, you know, I've treated a lot of women as dental patients who have been phobic and um, I think it seems skewed that way. I think there's a lot of men who are phobic too, but the men just don't show up to the dentist because they, because they don't care, you know? And so you might say, well, it'd be nice to work on all men, but you can't, and there's just not enough men to do that with. And so the phobic patients, you know, I've spent a lot of time uh, trying to figure out how to deal with some of these phobic patients. And in fact, if you look at our rapid anesthesia DVD program, if you go to glidewelldental.com and check that out, that whole rapid anesthesia procedure I came up with, one of the reasons was for people who are phobic about having a needle put in their mouth because it uses a very short needle. It doesn't have to go into their cheek. It just goes into the sulcus. And uh, as a result, for our, a patient who's really needle phobic, that rapid anesthesia technique is a great way to be able to help them with some of their fears. What else you got, Megan? Well, a CEO that makes $1 a year, that's the annual salary of BioLay CEO Federico Pignatelli. Pignatelli said his plan is to generate continued growth and improved financial performance for the company, according to a press release. He states, quote, a CEO's salary should be tied only to the financial performance of the company he leads and not to arbitrary, extravagant, and exorbitant numbers decided by an irresponsible and friendly board of directors, end quote. He invited the CEOs of other American companies and the country's politicians to follow his example. Uh, it's a great idea, and I feel like I have followed his example. For example, I know it's crass to talk money, but I'm only receiving $1 for Chairside Live. And there is no glass ceiling. You're receiving the same dollar for doing this as well. All right, let's go ahead and take a closer look at the case of the week. So let's go ahead and take a closer look at that case that I mentioned earlier. We'll just look at the RX real quick and we folded it down so you can't see who the dentist is but I think we all know there's only one dentist who uses green ink in the US and the doctor has requested two uh, PFM bridges from 5 to 8 and 9 to 14 um, this could have also been done as a Bruxer case we can make Bruxer bridges that large and they do well in the anterior but a PFM bridge is fine for something like this my one uh, I guess piece of uh, advice is that I typically don't like to split bridges between 8 and 9 to me, uh, teeth eight and nine are the ones that determine largely whether or not this case will be an aesthetic success or not. And I would rather split the bridges uh, to one side of the centrals or the other and leave eight and nine splinted together in a case like this. It just seems like I've had cases where when I try to do two separate bridges like this, that eight and nine don't quite line up right and don't look exactly the same. So I always like to keep eight and nine uh, splinted, but this can certainly work out like this as well. And we'll see that as we look at the model. A quick peek at the impression pretty darn good job uh, for a bridge this big for a bridge from 5 to 14 
as the doctor has prescribed. I, you know, prefer a custom tray for the impression. Of course, I practice here within the laboratory, so it's kind of cheating for me, or at least it's a lot easier for me to get a custom tray. Uh, secondly would be a metal tray because it's a little bit stiffer than the plastic tray, but this feels pretty firm and we probably didn't have too much distortion uh, on this impression. It looks a little beat up at this point, but keep in mind this impression has now been poured up about uh, three times and so uh, it's going to take some wear and tear every time you pull the stone model out of there. The third pour is actually our soft tissue model. We do a soft tissue model like this on all anterior bridge cases because we know we're going to need to make sure that the ponics sit nice and tight against the tissue here if we have any hope of them looking real. Um, you know, another way to make it look really nice is to do an ovate ponic receptor site. If you go to our uh, website at glidewelldental.com, you can look in some of the biotemp videos and you'll see where I do ovate ponic receptor sites in these edentulous areas. And then I place a biotemp bridge in there to help the healing of the soft tissue so that when we do the final bridge, we actually have a pontic that fits into the tissue and looks like it's growing out out of the tissue. And it makes it look a little more real, but this is certainly probably the standard way that it's done. And so we always do a soft tissue model uh, on these anterior bridges to make sure we get a nice uh, looking pontic on top of that tissue. Let's take a closer look here at the preps themselves. We're gonna be hanging one pontic off the back here for tooth number 14. And as we look at this, you know, in the old days when we got a multiple unit case like this and we would take it to a surveyor and the first thing we would do is look for undercuts to see if all these preps were going to draw. But today things have really changed a lot, as you're probably aware, uh, with the advances in CAD CAM dentistry. We do it a little differently today. We actually pour up that model and then we scan it. We scan it much like we would scan a model prior to milling a CAD CAM restoration such as Emacs or Bruxer, and when we scan the model, it will pick an ideal path of insertion for us, or the best path of insertion. And as you look at these teeth, you can see that we're not able to see the distal of this preparation at all. And we can already see some red spots here where there are, in fact, some undercuts. So as we rotate the models and look, the computer tells us exactly where the undercuts are on these preparations in relation to that, uh, to that path of insertion. And when we look at it here, we can see most of them are on the distal of a couple of these teeth and on the lingual of those teeth as well. Not too many on the facial. So as we look at this, we can see there's definitely some areas where there are undercuts and these bridges won't draw the way the dentist has prepared it. And you know what? This is one of the most difficult things to do in clinical dentistry is to be able to look at these preparations in the mouth, close one eye, use a mirror, however you're going to do it, and be able to see whether or not these are going to draw. And you can see that the undercuts that we saw from the computer on the distal uh, of this tooth are certainly there and the undercuts here and here as well as we look at it and try to eyeball it. So we've always had an unfair advantage here in the lab because we can look at the model instead of having to looking at the, look at the preps or try to look at the impression which is kind of impossible to see draw. We also get to cheat a little bit here because we no longer have to use a surveyor. We can actually use uh, some of our 3D technology and scan it and have the computer show us exactly where the undercuts are. So how are we going to take it from here where we're able to send something to the dentist now? Now you can see on this model we've identified those areas where the computer told us we had undercuts and our technician went in and actually prepared the models in those areas. So we've touched the model on the distal here, on the distal here, on the lingual and distal here, and on the distal on that tooth as well. And it's all been marked, and then the facial of this one tooth, there's only one spot on the facial. 
it's all been marked with a red marker to show the dentist where we actually did it. But the next question is how much did we actually have to remove? And so we've always looked for a way to kind of communicate this to the dentist. And let me show you what we're currently doing. This is our best way to do it so far. I've got a little box over here. It says veneers. It's our veneer box just to keep it organized, but it's not veneers. Once the technician has gone in and made the changes to the preparation to get rid of any undercuts we have, in, in, undercuts individually on a prep and undercuts for all of these so that they'll all draw together, or at least the two bridges as designed will draw individually. We've had the technician make some thermal form copings for us that you can see here. And these are individual copings that fit on each of these preparations. And they fit and will only fit all the way down just like this once the offending undercut has been removed. So we've indicated for the doctor where we need the preparation to be adjusted and then to gauge whether or not they've done enough reduction, we have these little copings, these thermoform copings that will slide right down onto the tooth and fit in place as soon as enough of the undercut has been reduced or even if the dentist reduces a little more than necessary, these copings will still fall down into place as you see here. And so now we're able to communicate to the dentist, hey, we need you to do a little more preparation on this case. Here's where we want you to reduce it. And you'll know when you've reduced enough as soon as these copings fall down into place. So now the dentist can have the patient back. They have the opportunity to go in and eliminate those undercuts and know that they're gonna get uh, a good restorative result. Because sometimes doctors will just say, well, go for it or make the bridge and send it back to me and I'll try to make these adjustments or can't you block out the undercuts, but you end up with a very sloppy fit of the bridge and you almost guarantee yourself early recurrent decay. So this is the best way to be able to do it on these larger bridges ca bridge cases like this. I almost assume that I'm gonna have to bring the patient back for a second, uh, second short appointment of preparation using these kind of copings to make sure I get the ideal draw because this is just one of the most difficult things we can ever try to eyeball in the mouth. Today, because of uh, CAD CAM solutions and the ability to scan these preparations, we have a more accurate way to pass this information back to you and get a better restorative result for you and your patient. That about wraps it up for this week's edition of Chairside Live. On behalf of myself, Megan Strong, and everybody else here at the laboratory, thank you for your time and your continued commitment to quality dentistry. We'll see you next time.